This is Linux Reality, Episode 15, Partitioning and Bootloaders. Hello, everybody. My name is Chess Griffin. I'm the host of this uh, podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, let me welcome you. Uh, this is a podcast for new Linux users and for Windows and Mac users who are interested in learning about Linux. And what I'm trying to do here is is, is take a step-by-step approach, at least for the time being, where each episode sort of builds on the previous episode. So generally, I recommend that folks listen, at least try to listen to all the episodes in the you know in the order that they've been released, because they sort of build on each other. In other words, some things that we talk about in certain episodes sort of assume some prior knowledge. And that's sort of the case this time. The topic this week, uh, partitioning and bootloaders, does sort of assume a, a little bit of the knowledge or some of the topics that we've talked about in previous episodes. Uh, so it might be most helpful if you went back and listened to some of the previous episodes. But, of course, you know, you're welcome to jump right in. I'll get started here in just one minute. There's, there is one thing I wanted to uh, discuss I really appreciate everybody sending me email and feedback. Uh, the the, e- the feedback email is linuxreality at gmail.com, and it's just been tremendous. The response has been amazing, and it's just I cannot tell you all how much I appreciate it. Uh, and as I've said before, I read every single email. Um, but there's two things I do need to mention. First, I just I'm sorry, but I just I cannot respond to everybody. Unfortunately, I really would love to, but my time is really limited. My regular day job keeps me pretty busy. My, I've got two young kids, my wife, you know, just regular family stuff. And so, you know, it, it's just hard for me to respond. And so I just ask that you understand when I can't always get back to you. Uh, secondly, and sort of along the same lines, um, I really can't respond to requests for technical assistance or for help. I, I, I wish I could. What I would recommend is that you post your question uh, in the Linux Reality Forums and if I've got time, I will definitely respond in the forums to help. Plus, that will preserve, you know, the record, so to speak, for the future, for, for future people in case they find a similar problem. Or, you know, visit visit one of the other great help sites out there. I would recommend linuxquestions.org, the forum, and also I would recommend the mailing list over at uh, linuxbasics.org. I would recommend those two sources. And there have been some other places that I've mentioned as well, and there's some links on the Linux Reality home, uh, homepage for some other other good forms and other places. So those those sites are really more equipped for tech support type of questions. Uh, but please feel free to post them in the Linux Reality forums as well. So, again, I really do appreciate the feedback. That's what keeps me going. And so please do keep sending it, but just realize that I just can't get to everybody's uh, email. I can't always respond. So... Okay, having said all that, let's check out some feedback. Message for you, son. Okay, the first email I want to read uh, is is actually a question. <laughs> I just said that I can't get to questions, but I thought this was one I'd, I'd touch on because this is a quick, easy one to answer, and it may be one that other people have, uh, have been wondering about, too. But it's an email, and she says, I'm looking for a lug in Quincy, Illinois. I'm a total novice to Linux, but our college here is offering an online course for beginners, and I was possibly interested in taking it. I use Windows and would need both Linux and Windows to work on my computer, but I do not know how to get about. I do not know how to go about to get that to work. Someone suggested getting a lug to help me. 
I need something in simple layman's terms spelled out step by step. Thank you, Diane. Well, Diane, I, um, in episode 10 of Linux Reality, I did mention lugs and I had posted a link in the show notes to that episode to a website that lists, uh, you know, it's, it's got a big long list of lugs in there. I'll read you that, um, URL right now. It is http colon slash slash lugww dot counter dot li dot org slash groups dot cms. But as I mentioned, that link is also in the show notes to episode 10. That will take you to a listing of lugs worldwide by country. And you can start in the U.S. and just kind of drill down from there. So hopefully that will, that will help you find a lug close to your area. So thank you very much, Diane. Then I got an email from Steve, kind of a long email, so I won't read it all, but he, um, he does raise an interesting question or, or interesting point here that I wanted to mention. He says, hi, Chess. Just wanted to say thank you for all the great podcasts so far. Keep up the, gr- the good work. I've listened to all of them, and they started off good but are getting progressively more and more interesting as they go on. I really thoroughly enjoyed the command line episode so much that I finally had to get off my bum and write in. I'm writing this for my brand-new installation of SUSE 10.1. I've been playing around with different Linux distros for a while now and have my girlfriend set up with Linux since SUSE 9.1. She says she wouldn't go back. Anyway, what I really wanted to say was that I am by no means a Linux pro, and the command line has always been this huge black hole for me. Your latest podcast was just what I needed. I had no idea you could channel the results of one command into another like that. That's cool. And then he talks about a couple different live CDs that he's that he's tried out, and uh, but he he finishes up by saying, I like Linux distros that do something that Windows can't do, like Corora or Supergamer or Geekbox. I guess the reason I'm telling you this is because you seemed a little bit unsure about talking about the command line, and it seemed like that was because Windows users don't use it. But maybe, just maybe, all those new Linux users are just waiting for something like this so they can say to themselves, well, I couldn't do that in Windows. I know I was. Thanks, Chess. Well, thank you, Steve, and that's a good point. And, yeah, I was hesitant, and I'm, I still sometimes get hesitant talking about it. I don't want to scare people off. But you're right. I, I hope that Windows users who are not used to using the command line will, you know, realize the the power that it has and, and, and how, you know, it can open up more doors. And I realize there are people that don't want to use the command line ever, and that's fine. And I think Linux is at the point where you don't necessarily need to. But I just want to teach people a little bit about it so they can try it out and see that it, that it can do a lot of cool things. So thank you, Steve, for that email. And then the last email I, I want to read here is from Manny. And he says, Chess, first let me say I am loving your podcast. I have downloaded them all and listened to them many times over. I am presently about to embark on my conversion from Windows to Linux. Your podcasts and the forums have been an incredible resource in helping me to get ready for this. And then he, this is also a long, longer email, but I, so I want to skip to some of his questions here. He says, uh, I'm guessing that many, if not most, of your listeners are former Windows users. With that in mind, perhaps it makes sense to add in more Windows examples in your podcast to explain what something does in the Linux world versus what its Windows counterpart does. I'm not talking so much about something like Outlook versus Evolution as I am talking about the kernel-based things. I was wondering if you, when you are going to do your next podcast on a specific distro, also wondered if you would be able to go into some depth on partitioning for install. Another topic I would love to hear your thoughts are on are the GNOME versus KDE issue. Thanks for a great podcast and keep up the good work. Manny. 
Well, uh, Manny, those are some good questions, and, and your point about adding in more Windows examples, that's a that's an excellent point, and you're right, and I, I will try to do that. The problem for me is the fact that I just, I have to use Windows at work, but I use it as little as I possibly can, and I really just kind of get in and get out, and I just don't dive into it, and I don't have Windows here at home, so it's hard for me actually to come up with Windows examples. I'm just not that used to using it anymore, so... Hopefully, with each episode, maybe some some listeners who are Windows users and Linux users can maybe post some some uh, in the forums, coming up with some Windows examples. If if you know if I am unable to do it myself, so that's a good point, and that's something I will continue to work on. As far as the next podcast on a specific distro, that is something we're going to get to the next time about SUSE. And then you also asked about partitioning, and we're going to go into that in this episode. And then you also asked about the GNOME versus KDE issue. And kind of like how I had said I sort of shied away from talking about what distribution I use, I also tend to shy away from this whole issue just because it tends to get sometimes into a sort of a a religious type of argument. And I just, you know, I just don't really want to do that because, I don't know, to me that just seems kind of silly. I mean, everybody has their preferences. It can be sort of subjective and for me, the idea that we have GNOME and KDE is what Linux is all about. I mean, it just doesn't matter to me whether someone prefers GNOME or KDE. I've tried them both, and I've tried other desktop environments and other window managers, and I finally settle on one or two that I really like that I tend to use, but they all have their good points and bad points, and, and they're all valuable to different people. So, you know... Um, I really just don't. I really just don't go there as far as saying which is better or, or whatever. It really is what works for you, and the same goes with distributions. and And people need to try a few and and try some desktop environments and see what they prefer. Again, that's what Linux is all about. It's all about choice. So that's just me. But hey, who am I? <laughs> so thanks, Manny. I appreciate those questions and. You know, maybe over time, that's something I'll get to, the GNOME versus KDE thing. But, you know, as of right now, I just want to expose people to as much as I can. So with that, let's get to the main topic, partitioning and bootloaders. Okay, well, talking about partitioning and bootloaders is kind of tough because, well, partitioning at least, because everybody's system is different and everybody's setup is different and there's no, you know one way to do things necessarily. So what I'm, all I'm really going to try to do is just, again, sort of talk about some concepts and just try to explain it to people who don't know anything about partitioning at all. Partitioning. This has to do with your hard drive. Let's say you have a 40 gigabyte hard drive that either came with your computer or that you bought and installed on your, you know, that you installed yourself. Well, that hard drive can be partitioned, cut up into pieces, if you will, virtually. Think of it as like a book. You can have one big chapter, you know, one big partition, one big block of space, or you could have two or three or ten. You can have as many different sections as you want. Now, the size of the sections are, can vary, but they all add up. I mean, they total the size of your hard drive. In other words, let's say you have a 40 gigabyte hard drive. You could have one 40 gig partition, you could have two 20 gig partitions, you could have four 10 gig partitions, or some combination thereof. And the partitions is where you can install your operating system. 
Now, we talked about this a while ago, but in Windows, generally is installed in one big partition, whereas in Linux, you can have you can have multiple partitions. You, sometimes people will install different pieces of the operating system in different partitions. Remember when I talked about the file system hierarchy, I explained that the neat thing about the way Linux does it is that you can kind of you know, plug your you know different directories into different partitions. I use the example of my music directory on a separate partition. It's actually on a separate hard drive that I just mount inside my home directory. Well, you could have your home partition, excuse me, your home directory on one partition and everything else in another partition. That makes it easier to back up your home partition, for example, in the in the case of you know backing up something. So a partition is a way to allocate the space on your hard drive. When Windows is installed, it almost invariably installs itself into one big partition and it assigns a drive letter, you know, the C drive, for example. When you go through a Windows installation, there is an opportunity, from what I recall, to do some basic partitioning. You can, you know, cut up the uh, 40 gigabyte hard drive into two 20 gigabyte partitions, for example. And in a perfect world, if you wanted to dual boot Windows and Linux, that's what you would do. You would you would you know install Windows and and cut up your hard drive with, into two 20 gig partitions. Let's just say, let's just use that as an example for basis of this episode. So you would install Windows on the first partition, and then you would install Linux on the second partition. That's ideally what what would happen. But in reality, a lot of times or you know, most of the time, I guess, for Windows folks, they, they have a Windows computer that has everything installed on one partition. So you need to do some partitioning. You need to cut up the hard drive yourself. And there's a couple ways to do this. And you would do this in advance, generally, of installing your Linux distribution. Some Linux distributions can do this themselves, but there are other tools you can use as well. For example, in Windows, I know there's, uh, you know, Partition Magic, and I think there's a company called Acronis. I, several years ago, I had a uh, a copy of some partitioning tool from a company called Acronis. I don't remember what it was called, but there are tools out there that allow you to, uh, you know, resize partitions and 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 make room for Linux. That's the idea. I mean, if you've got a Windows computer that's got a 40 gigabyte hard drive and Windows takes up the entire drive, well, there's no place to put Linux. So you got to make some space. And you you know, if you some as I said, some distributions like SUSE will let you do some partitioning and resizing within the installation process, but other distributions like Ubuntu does not. Ubuntu will let you create partitions from empty space, but it won't let you resize or, or move partitions around. So that's when you would need to, you just need to figure out, you know, you know, think about your hard drive and decide how you're going to free up some space to install Linux. That's the, really the goal that you're trying to get to. And you can either do that using one of these third-party tools like Partition Magic or use the Linux distribution and you know, if you use something like SUSE and and do the resizing and the partitioning that way. One other tool that you can use is there's a live CD out there now called QParted Live CD, which I have not tried this, but people have reported some good success with it that has some Linux command line, I mean, some Linux partitioning tools 
for you to do some some partitioning, uh, you know, make partitions and that sort of thing. Some of the issues that you encounter are the following. Most current Windows installations use the Windows file system NTFS, and that is very tricky to resize. Some Linux distributions can't even read NTFS partitions. Most of them cannot write to an NTFS partition. The kernel module that allows writing to NTFS is very unstable, and so the write support is not really recommended. So you've got to figure out a way to resize an NTFS partition. If you had installed Windows on your own and chose FAT32, which is the other Windows file system, that's a lot easier to do. And I think most distributions can read and write to FAT32. But the idea is that you want to try to resize your hard drive to make room for Linux. Okay, a couple other concepts here that are going to be important. And uh, the first is the idea of primary partitions and logical partitions. Uh, the number of partitions on a hard drive, for historical reasons, was originally limited to four, four partition entries. That's what that used to be the case. That used to be a limitation. So you can only have four partitions. And so nowadays we call those primary partitions. And those are, you know, let's say those are numbers one through four. Well, people quickly realize you need to have more than that. So nowadays, one of the, you know, a primary partition may be sub-partitioned, and it's called logical part. Those are called logical partitions. And this allows you to basically get around the, the, the four-partition limitation. So let's say, for example, you had primary partition one, two, and three. And then the fourth, instead of making it a primary partition, you make it a logical partition, and then you could have partitions five through ten, let's say. In, you know, you could, you could cut it up into five smaller partitions. So it's a way to get around the, the, the four-partition limitation. In Linux, you also typically have what's called a swap partition, and a swap. And, and Windows has has a swap file as well. But in Linux, you have a separate partition for for uh, for swap. And and swap is basically, without really getting into the the nitty gritty, but it's basically a way for uh, the memory of the computer to be able to you know maybe temporarily. Um, save some data in, onto the hard drive that it may need access to if it runs out of memory or something like that. It's basically a temp file, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, used to be that the swap partition was very important because RAM was much more limited. Uh, today's uh, computers have so, typically have a lot more RAM that the swap partition, I don't think, is as important, but We'll talk about that later on, but those are sort of the three types of partitions, primary partitions, logical partitions, and swap partitions. The other concept here that I want to mention is, is how Linux designates partitions. I said a few minutes ago that in, that in Windows, when you install Windows, it'll make, you know, maybe one big partition and give it a, a label, you know, C drive. Or sometimes Windows users will partition their hard drive into a C drive for Windows and a D drive for data or something like that. Well, Linux partitioning um, uh, goes back to the Linux file system hierarchy we talked about. Uh, you may remember I talked about the dev directory. And the dev directory is the directory in the Linux file system 
that contains all the devices, all the hardware devices on the hard drive. What Linux does is it assigns a dev entry to each hard drive, and the designation is HD, A, B, C, or D. The HD, I think, I guess, stands for hard drive, and then you can have hard drive A, hard drive B, hard drive C, hard drive D, for example, and those would be, you know, A and B would be two drives on one IDE controller. You know, you may, if you open up your hard drive or your computer, you'll see the cable that connects your hard drives. It will usually have two sets of prongs, so you can have two hard drives per cable. I'm getting probably way more detail than I need to, but let me back up. In so in in Linux. You would just, you know, if you have a C drive, a C partition in Windows, the equivalent of that, this is getting to the, like the email I read earlier, the equivalent in Linux would be forward slash dev forward slash HDA and then a number for the partition number. The HDA is what designates the first hard drive on the primary con IDE controller, HDA, and then the number is the number of the partition. So let's say, for example, you had a hard drive with two partitions. Let's say you have partition magic and you resize your Windows NTFS 40 gigabyte partition, you shrink it down into a 20 gigabyte partition for Windows, and you leave 20 gigabytes left over for Linux. When you boot up Linux, Linux is going to detect those two partitions and it's going to list them for you and it will list the first partition, the Windows one, the NTFS one, as HDA1. It's the first partition on the HDA, on, on the A hard drive. Okay. The second partition that's free, the one you've left over for Linux if it's a primary partition, would be HDA2. If you subdivided the Linux partition into two 10 gig partitions, let's say, you'd have a, you'd have the Windows partition, HDA1, at 20 gigs. You'd have HDA2, your first Linux partition, at 10, and HDA3, your second Linux partition, also at 10. So the numbers would just increase. If you had a secondary hard drive, let's say, let's say you decided to not mess with your Windows installation and just install a second hard drive for Linux. So you would have HDA for your Windows installation on the entire hard drive. And then when you boot up Linux, you would point it to the second hard drive, which which would be HDB. The second hard drive, B, is is designates the second hard drive. HDB, and then you could partition it into, let's say, f four partitions. So you would have HDB1 through four. So those are the those that's kind of the way the the partitioning works in Linux when you designate you know and in, in, in how those partition numbers are designated. Ultimately, what I would recommend in a perfect world, you know, if you had the opportunity to reinstall Windows from scratch and let's say you had one hard drive to install Windows and Linux on, I would reinstall Windows and during the Windows installation, go ahead and divide, I mean, go ahead and, and, and allocate one partition for Windows and just leave the rest blank or empty space for Linux. And don't worry about dividing it for Linux. You can let the Linux distribution handle that. 
But if you have a 40 gigabyte hard drive and you want to leave 10 gigs for Windows, you know, go through the Windows installation and create a 10 gigabyte partition. Make that the C drive, NTFS or FAT32. Install Windows on it and then go from there and install Linux on the rest. And when we go through the SUSE installation, I'll talk about how people tend to allocate the space for Linux. In other words, how to partition the Linux space itself, whether you have it all in one partition or you have room or, you know, home on a second partition or something like that. But what this leads into is, let's say you have Windows on a 10 gig partition and then you install Linux on the rest, on the, on the remaining 30 gigs. So now you have two operating systems. How do you boot to the two operating systems? And that's when you need a bootloader. A bootloader is kind of like a table of contents, or it's like a menu. It's a way for you to choose which operating system you want to boot up when you first turn on the computer. Without a bootloader, it would your computer would just boot straight into the first primary bootable partition it found, and that's going to be Windows. And by the way, Windows needs to be on the first partition, from what I understand. I don't think Windows likes being on a secondary partition somewhere. I may be wrong about that, but that's what I've heard. But if you have Windows on the first partition and you have Linux on the second partition, you need to have a way to choose between the two, whichever ones you want to start up. So you need a bootloader. Windows has a bootloader. It's like NT bootloader or something. And there's a, there are ways to use the Windows bootloader to create the menu, if you will, to create the table of contents of of operating systems, but I wouldn't recommend it. I've heard it's a real pain and I've never even done it myself. So I would use either a third party bootloader. There's like bootloader NG. I remember I used it many years ago. It stands for like bootloader next generation. There's lots of third party bootloaders out there. In fact, that Acronis company I mentioned has a, a bootloader program as part of their suite of, of disk tools. So I would either use a third-party partition, I mean a third-party bootloader, or more often than not what you'll end up doing, and this is what I would probably recommend, is that you use one of the Linux bootloaders. And when you install a Linux distribution, it will ask you at one point where you want to install the bootloader. Now this can be a little dangerous, so you just got to be careful and, you know, back up your data and, and you know, uh, just make sure you know you feel comfortable with, with what you're doing here before you do it, because this you know when you start messing around with hard drives and partitions and bootloaders, it can mess things up. When you're in your Linux dis distribution installation, when you get to the bootloader section, it will often ask you, do you want to install the bootloader on the master boot record, the MBR, or on the boot sector of the or the you know the root partition of you know where you installed Linux. So what that means is this: bootloaders need to reside in what's called the master boot record, which is sort of basically the very beginning of the hard drive. Because when you turn on your computer, the BIOS you may remember we talked about the BIOS a long time ago. That's sort of the chip on your computer that powers it up and and runs some tests and then looks for something to boot, whether it's a CD-ROM or a floppy disk or hard drive, if it finds a hard drive, it will look for a bootloader in the master boot record. That's sort of think of it as like the very beginning of the disk drive. 
of the hard disk. It's it's like having your table of contents at the very front of the book. That's where you're. That's what installing a bootloader at the master boot record means. It means it's going to put that menu at the very very front, and your Linux distribution will put it there. And it, most Linux distributions will detect the fact that you have Windows installed and will give you an entry for Windows and an entry for Linux in the in the menu. You know, in the table of contents. Alternatively, if you don't want to mess with your Windows master boot record because you're afraid of messing up Windows, you can oftentimes choose to install the Linux bootloader on the root partition of where you installed Linux. So, for example, let's say you have the first partition for Windows and you have, you know, so you have HDA1 is Windows and you have HDA2 for Linux. Well, if you install it in the master boot record, it's going to install it onto HDA1 at, at the very beginning. If you decide to install it onto the partition where you installed Linux, it will install the bootloader on HDA2. But now you, you got to really think about this, because if you install it on HDA2, okay, and if there's no bootloader in the beginning, then how is it ever going to get to your Linux bootloader. In other words, when you turn on the computer and it boots to the hard drive, it's going to look to the master boot record. And if it doesn't see a bootloader there, it's just going to boot into Windows. So it would never get to your bootloader that you installed onto your Linux partition as opposed to the master boot record. Now that can be okay. Some people, what they'll decide to do for safety reasons, will want to leave the bootloader on the Linux partition and then create a boot floppy, let's say, and boot from the floppy when they want to boot into Linux and not touch the master boot record at all. That's that's an alternative way of installing Linux that I guess you could say is safer. Other times what people will do, and this is what I've done in the past, is because I tend, to, you know, at least in the past I reinstalled Linux distributions all the time, and so the bootloader would change a lot. So I actually had a third-party bootloader installed at the master boot record that I just never messed with, other than to create new entries if I had more Linux distributions. And then each time I installed a Linux distribution on a, on a sub-partition somewhere, I would just put the bootloader on the Linux partition, not the master boot record. So if I had HDA1 for Windows and HDA2 for Linux distro 1 and HDA3 for Linux distro 2, when I installed Linux distros two, 1 and 2, I would put the bootloaders for those two distros on their own Linux, on that Linux partition, not at the front, not in the master boot record. And then when I rebooted my computer, I would go into my bootloaders configuration and add entries for the new distros as I added them. So that way I never needed to mess with the master boot record. I just left it alone, updated it as necessary, but... I installed the uh, Linux bootloaders on the Linux partitions. So I would install it on HDA2 and HDA3. The Linux bootloaders that are out there, there's two, there's really two. There's one called GRUB, and that stands for Grand Unified Bootloader, and there's one for LILO. And I, there's one called LILO, and I forget what LILO stands for. Those are the two main ones, and it's hard to say which ones are more popular. I guess. 
I guess Grub is probably more popular now. I think Lilo is is been around longer than Grub has. I'm not positive of that. They each are are have their strengths and weaknesses, and they're you know they're basically pretty similar. They they do some things a little bit differently, and I won't get into the details of that right now. But those are basically you know most of the times you're not going to have a choice. If you install Ubuntu, I think Ubuntu uses Grub, I believe. I think SUSE uses Grub. So it's not like you're going to have a choice all the time. And it will just, whichever one comes with that distribution is what's going to be installed. Now, if you end up installing your Linux bootloader in the master boot record and you decide you want to wipe out that Linux distribution and just, you know, start from scratch or, or you want to change, maybe you want to, re, you know, get rid of the bootloader at the master boot record, there is a way to do that. And I will, and I've seen this a million times, and I'll try to find a link to it, but it basically involves getting a Windows boot CD or, or a Windows boot uh, a disk, floppy disk, and Windows has a way of, of quickly re- rewriting the master boot record so it wipes out any bootloader that's there and, and changes it so it boots straight into Windows again. So, again, I'll see if I can find that, that fix or maybe somebody can post that in the forums because that's not a very uncommon thing. So that, in a nutshell, is the way partitions and bootloaders work. I know it's kind of a lot there all, all at once, and the partition thing is kind of complicated to describe. I, I, I'm going to find some good resources and put them in the show notes to try to help you. And please feel free to ask questions about this in the forums. I think this is something that maybe may make more sense as we flesh it out in the forums as we all kind of talk about it. But partitioning is important to think about and, and important to understand. As you start dealing with Linux, it's something that, that you'll need to be somewhat comfortable with, even though most modern distributions will handle it for you. You just really got to be aware. A lot of times Linux distributions will say, you know, if you're not careful, it will just wipe out everything on your hard drive and install Linux on the entire hard drive. And if if what you're trying to do is dual boot Windows and Linux, well, that's not what you want. So you just have to kind of pay attention. Okay, with that, I guess it's time to wrap it up. Okay, well, thanks again, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, like I said, it was, this was kind of a hard one to do, actually, harder than I than I thought it was going to be. So I hope I hope that this has been helpful. Uh, please check out the forums, the Linux Reality forums, and the and the Frapper Map. If you haven't added yourself to the Frapper Map, please do that, and uh, please participate in the forums. You do have to register there and log in and all of that, but. We really are getting some good discussions and getting a lot of folks participating, so that's really cool to see. I'm really glad that that's taken off. Next week, we are going to start looking at SUSE Linux 10.1. There have been some issues with this release, unfortunately, mostly dealing with the package manager, so we'll explore that as we get to it. But SUSE is a good distribution, I think, to start with for a lot of reasons, In order, and that is to do a hard drive install. So that's what we're going to do. We're basically going to walk through the hard drive installation of SUSE Linux 10.1 next time. And I'm going to have some good uh, resources for that. 
Stefan sent me a link to a um, like a video cast, if you will, of that installation, and I saw another one, maybe on Mad Penguin or someplace, that had another uh, video cast of, of a walkthrough, you know, through the installation. So I will post, post those in the show notes for next week. So until then, please do stay subscribed. This has been Linux Reality, Episode 15. Catch you all next time, everyone. Bye-bye.